Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we're librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, <laughs> I'm super excited, we're going to be discussing the books to read when you can't get tickets to Hamilton the Musical, <laughs> which was actually Anne. Your idea it for was a topic. my idea. Because <laughs> she is making a face right now. Well, we should be topical yes. in, in yep. occasionally. Yep. And this is topical. This is topical. But talk about your feelings about musicals. I so let me first say I love them. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them with every bone in my body. I hate them. However, <laughs> did you listen to the soundtrack, the cast recording? Yeah, because I had to for this podcast. And so what did you think? I thought that it was very, uh, I can see why people get addicted to it. And, and I should say that I, I, I appreciate what it's doing. Like, I, I definitely respect it. It isn't that I'm, I'm listening to it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, all these people are fooled by the stupidity. I think it's really like, it's probably genius. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see like how much, I, I know there's tons that I'm missing in it as far as, as. Um, the history that's involved in the references to hip hop. And, and I think that, that um, making a musical that is um, about this world that we sort of see as being pristine and untouchable and then making it very accessible to modern America, I think is really, really cool. I just hate musicals. So <laughs> there's, I can respect all the things that, that Lynn manuel Miranda is doing and still not really care a lot. <laughs> But I will say it it gets stuck in your head. I yes. was just I, I actually uh, messaged Hallie at like twelve thirty last night and said, "Oh my gosh, get this out." <laughs> yes, it definitely. I was I was really trying to hold out on listening to the cast recording uh-huh. until I would actually be able to see Hamilton, which you will, which I will in March. It's very exciting. But then I broke down and started listening to it. I had yeah. I think I saw some some awards show, the Tonys or something. Uh-huh. Or maybe even before that, I saw some sort of live performance of mm-hmm. one of the songs, and so I was like, "Well, now, of course, I have to listen to the whole thing." Oh, you hadn't listened to the whole thing before that? Uh, I don't think so. Maybe before the Tonys, there was something. Maybe when they performed at the White House is yeah. the first time I saw them perform. I'm not sure, but I was really trying to hold out. How how did you get into Hamilton? If you and to the point where you wanted to buy tickets to it, if you had well, never by the time I was it. buying tickets to it, I had listened to the cast recording. Oh, okay, yeah, I just bought tickets to it not too long ago. But before that, you would you would mess. I mo- I posted something goofy about Hamilton on Facebook, and you you made fun of me. I had listened to it that at we that point anymore. So. It, I love musicals. Like I oh, love okay. so musicals. It's just a given. So when it started, when everybody started going crazy about Hamilton, I knew it was something I would want to see. Yeah. at some point. And I kept texting my sister, like we have to figure out how to go to New York, and then now it's coming to Chicago, and my sisters oh. live in Chicago. So do my aunt and uncle. So I was like, well, at some point, I'll get to see it in Chicago. But uh-huh. I don't know finally what broke me to listen to the cast <laughs> recording, but I did. I am not as deeply into the Hamilton obsession as I think some people yes. are. Yeah. Um, but I do really enjoy listening to the cast recording. I find Lin-Manuel Miranda absolutely delightful mm-hmm. whenever I've seen him interviewed or his Twitter or anything. He just seems like a really interesting nice yeah. like, he just seems like a good guy yeah. and so i'm pleased that but all very this intense too v- very intense <laughs> um but uh, so i'm pleased all this is happening for him and, yeah. and hamilton is getting all of this attention um but so yeah so we thought it would be a fun topic to say as you if you can't get tickets but you are listening to the recording or you have tickets but they're far away or you don't know if you're mm-hmm. ever going to see the show but these are these might be some books you could read to feed your your interest in hamilton until you can actually get there to see it yeah yeah 
some someday I, and i feel like if i had the opportunity i would definitely go because yes. why wouldn't you it's right. a cultural phenomenon right. and so why wouldn't you take that opportunity right. but but i don't like i don't i'm not obsessed with it right and i it's not even that i'm not obsessed i i'm incredibly passive in just being yeah. not, a little bit knowledgeable about it and then like sort of let it float by and think well that's that's nice yeah <laughs> Well, I'm glad you gave it a chance and listened. To yeah, the I always give things a chance, mostly, sometimes. <laughs> Not other musicals. Never do this to me again. Although, <laughs> let's discuss what you told me. <laughs> I knew you were going to. <laughs> when we were having this conversation, <laughs> you said, except these two musicals that I absolutely love. Love. Loved uh, In the past tense, I guess. Yes. Which is critical. Which were. So, so I do, I think that. West Side Story is a masterpiece because Leonard Bernstein is a, is a genius. Like, and it's very classically music oriented. Yeah. And I love other other Leonard Bernstein co- uh, compositions. And it's freaking West Side Story. It's a, it's brilliant. But it's a musical. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think you can say you hate musicals when you love a musical. But that's one out of <laughs> I how have, many. But I just don't think you should make the blanket statement that you hate them when you actually truly actually love one. I'm still going to make that blanket statement and, and, feel, fight you and on feel incredibly <laughs> secure in that. And I also was very obsessed with Phantom of the Opera when I was a, when I was a preteen, which is the perfect age to be into Phantom of the Opera. Um, and I've probably seen that, I would say, 10 times, maybe more than that. Um, and then I saw it maybe in the early 2000s and thought, that's enough. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of geared toward my interests yeah. because it's spooky and you know Paris in the late 19th century and there's just a lot there for me to latch on to and and I very much did as a 13 year old I was very very obsessed with it and I have I think a lot of books of it and I have the cast recording I have all kinds of stuff um relating to Phantom of the Opera um but I haven't thought about it in many many years so so yes I I have been into musicals and in, in the past but that was, those are two out of how many but there's so, so many they're like held up as examples of what a musical is but i think the things point. that bug me about musicals i don't see in in those as much like like when i think of the things when i'm listening to to musicals or when i have them presented to me and i think this is what i don't like about it i don't there are things that I don't find in those okay. two musicals so it's very particular yeah. tropes in okay. musicals that drive me nuts and like musical just sort of the way the I don't, I don't know music theory well enough to talk about this in an educated way but just just certain ways that they're constructed that I find obnoxious and trite <laughs> all right don't hate me everyone no. I'm a well-rounded person in other ways <laughs> We'll have to see how long this episode goes if we leave that in. <laughs> so maybe they won't hurt you at all. All right. So since you did give Hamilton a chance, what are your suggestions on what to read for people who actually do want to see Hamilton someday? Well, and luckily with Hamilton, I really love American history. So there's all kinds of things that are fascinating about the story and lots of things that I can pick from that relate in some way to Hamilton. Um and I do love that. I really love that it's that this musical is making people so interested in, in American history. Like, that's exciting. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy to to think that the big like cultural interest right now is history. That's I know. bizarre, but yeah. it's it's really cool. So, I, and I read something about a father who took his daughter to see Hamilton, and he uh-huh. said she and her friends will debate issues that the founding fathers that's like so which of the funny. founding fathers was right. And yeah, so, I mean, 
That's crazy. Yeah, but, but it very, it's very, very fun. Yeah. So so the first book I picked is Lafayette in the Somewhat United States by Sarah Vowell. And I think I've talked, yes, I know I've talked about my love of Sarah Vowell mm-hmm. books before on the podcast. Um, I talked about her book Assassination Vacation on the Books That Make Us Laugh episode. And I love that she's unabashedly nerdy in her love of, of American history, but even while she's venerating these significant figures um, that we we uphold as as these like prime examples of what people should be, she doesn't put them on a pedestal at all. She sees them as very human, and they she she's very she's very willing to point out their faults and their their real emotions, and she almost is kind of making fun of them in a, a certain way, but at the same time, really clearly indicates that she's obsessed with them. So it's this making fun of them is sort of the wrong phrase to use but she's she's willing to poke fun at them Um, so in this book she takes on the founding fathers and specifically as they relate to the marquis de lafayette who plays a large role in hamilton which i found most significantly that he can rap in a really uh strong french accent Mm -hmm. really fast which was amazing that was very fun i was very impressed by that if you don't know, uh, the Marquis de Lafayette was a 19-year-old French nobleman, nobleman who was completely taken by the idea of the American cause, and he desperately wanted to fight in a war. And since Europe was at peace during that time, he volunteered himself to serve as an officer in the American army. And uh, when, once he did that, he became a close friend of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and other founding fathers. And he later went on to play a major role in the French Revolution, uh, although he was later exiled due to his moderate views within um, that conflict. So, but he, he ended up okay. Yeah. <laughs> so in 1824, he returned to the United States for a grand tour of, I think there were 24 states at the time, and he visited all of them over the course of like a year and a half. And this was organized to celebrate the upcoming 50-year anniversary of the revolution. And as the only re- remaining general from the war, he was celebrated throughout the entirety of his journey and actually visited Beaufort. And I walked past oh. the, the building where he spoke every day oh to get gosh. cookies, which is pretty cool, which huh. is, it's the Verdier house, okay. if you know where that is. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was an, a neat little discovery. Sarah Valley uses the event of Lafayette's tour as an example of one of the very few times that Americans have truly united over everything or over anything, I should say. And she sheds light on the larger theme of American idealism through this lens. In many ways, we have a really distorted view of the revolution and of the founding fathers, I think, because we we act like they had some inspiring conversations and then everything sort of fell into place and it was all very noble. But these were men that were very flawed and they bickered and they fought and they disliked each other immensely and they still created a country together. So there's kind of a lot of comparisons that she makes to to. Uh, recent uh, congressional uh, fights that have gone on um, and likens these to the founding of our country. Lafayette actually told Washington when he arrived in the United States how surprised he was to find that there was so much contention among the Americans and that he imagined a place where everyone was was united. And Washington replied that Americans have a fatal tendency to disunion. And I thought the the musical did a great job of highlighting this, that that there were always these mm-hmm. these disagreements between um between significant figures and amongst the states and amongst communities. So the the book right now feels very applicable to the current political climate, but Sarah Vowell's point is that we've never had an idyllic time that we all got along. This has always um, been the case and it's literally never existed within our history, which is fascinating. And the writing style is amazing. It's it's droll and witty, and there's a tendency to follow kind of bizarre little, little paths down um, 
unknown moments of history that are, are very, very fun to learn about. So for me, that equals nonfiction perfection. It's it's extremely readable, but very educational at the same time. And it's it's just a delight to read. And that is called Lafayette in the Summit United States by Sarah Vowell. All right. So my first one is The Hamilton Affair by Elizabeth Cobbs. This is a historical fiction, and it focuses on the relationship between Alexander Hamilton and Elizabeth Schuyler. If you don't know much about Hamilton and haven't seen the show or listened to the cast album, I'll just fill you in. Alexander Hamilton was born in the West Indies, and he was a child of unmarried parents whose father abandoned the family and whose mother died when Alexander was a child. So at about 15 or 17, there's some doubt about when he was born. There are two different dates Uh, two different years written. So he was in his teens. He went to New Jersey to gain an education and he ended up becoming a hero of the American Revolution. So that's just a broad strokes who Alexander (laughs) Hamilton was. Uh, He was beloved by George Washington and hated by Thomas Jefferson. And then he died in a duel. Um, So Elizabeth Schuyler was the daughter of one of the wealthiest families in New York. And she and Hamilton fell in love and got married despite his lack of money and his illegitimacy and his subsequent infidelity during their marriage. So this novel takes a look at the entire picture of their relationship from beginning to end. It shows each of them before they've ever met and then through their marriage. And it gives a peek into both their personal life and the political life that Alexander had. Uh, It focuses on the affair that Hamilton had with Mariah Reynolds and how that impacted both their marriage and his career. It had ramifications for his career. And then after Hamilton died, Eliza created New York's first orphanage and raised 160 children in addition to her own seven during her lifetime. And that's only revealed in the epilogue. And I would have loved like a whole other book just about her life after uh, Hamilton died, because I think it's like another 50 years that she lived. I mean, she lived a significant amount of time after his death and devoted herself to this cause of um, the orphanage orphanage at raising these children. And so she sounds like a fascinating Mm -hmm. person. It was a perfect book for people wanting to know more about Eliza and Hamilton's love story and like Mm -hmm. their relationship. I love historical fiction because it puts you know, a story to the, to the actual history. Um, and if you're not ready to commit to the Chernow biography of Hamilton, which is what the, what inspired Lin-Manuel Miranda to, to write Hamilton, the musical, this seems like it's a good, it's definitely well-researched based in fact, but it's not, it's not a biography or Mm -hmm. nonfiction. So this is a good little teaser if you're not willing to to dive into yeah. the, the mammoth biography that Chernow wrote. That is The Hamilton Affair by Elizabeth Cobbs. My next book is Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip-Hop Generation by Jeff Chang. And uh, one of the things I, I liked about the, the soundtrack was that I thought that hip-hop's form really matches the brashness of the Founding Fathers. Well, um, as I was saying earlier, I think that we have a tendency to view the Founding Fathers as having this kind of stiff dignity and um, almost like they're living ver- versions of the statues that are put up to honor them um but they weren't they were radicals and hip-hop i think really embodies that that sort of in your faceness mm-hmm. that, that they had so i it's hard to talk about hip-hop because even though i would definitely say that i like it i'm just about the most casual fan that you can imagine <laughs> um i really hated it when i was a classical music loving nerdy teenager um and that was during the era of gangster rap but i grew to appreciate it appreciate it as an adult but i still don't ever do anything to seek it out and oh. I know basically nothing about it so very very casual as a fan <laughs> but hopefully if you love Hamilton you at least appreciate how many references to the history of hip-hop mm-hmm. are included um, I was reading some articles to prep for the the podcast and there were just so many motifs that were included and, and allusions to classic albums mm-hmm. and and it was 
I didn't know half of what they were talking about, but I, I was very impressed with how much had gone into, into the writing of the musical. So if you need help in kind of filling in that background like I did, then this book is considered the quintessential authority on the history of hip hop as a cultural pheno- phenomenon. The author, uh, Jeff Chang, starts at the very beginning of hip hop's roots um, back in Jamaica with the rise of the DJ sound system as a replacement for a live band and then travels to the South Bronx of the early 1970s, which uh, at the time was recovering from years of gang wars and and inner conflict when a DJ, a local DJ named Cool Herc noticed that the moments during his sets that people went really crazy were during the instrumental interludes during the funk albums that he was oh. playing. And so he, once he noticed that that was really what got the crowd going, he decided to splice them together and mix them so that it was one continuous instrumental track, essentially. And I'm, I'm very vastly oversimplifying this history, but um, basically from there, another uh, South Bronx DJ named African Bambata created an artistic collective called the Zulu Nation, um, which tried to take the aggression of the gangs in the Bronx and redirect it toward creative endeavors. Um, that would unify the community as a whole. And by doing that, he identified the four elements of hip hop, which are DJing, emceeing, breakdancing, and graffiti. And so the book covers all four of these in in pretty extensive detail. Um, The book goes on to to follow the development of of hip hop culture from its breakout to... um, from the Bronx to the release of Rapper's Delight, which is hilarious and just sounds like a disco track to me, (laughs) to its appropriation and rejection of the white um, or by the white uh, New York art world of the 1980s to its development as a political voice with groups like uh, Public Enemy and then its eventual dissemination into the mainstream with musicians like Run DMC and LL Cool J and Queen Latifah and countless other artists. So the book was actually published in 2005, so I was a little bit disappointed that it didn't cover more recent developments in the the hip-hop world. Um, Basically, I just wanted a chapter on Kendrick Lamar, and I was kind of sad that there wasn't more for me to read about that, because he's a genius. Um, But the story was completely fascinating, even for someone that had pretty much no no background on it. Um, And the author did a really great job of tying the history of hip-hop into the history of social unrest, and he really showed how a a small underground cultural movement became a billion, a multi-billion dollar industry. So it's, it took a really long time to get through the book because I would have to watch YouTube videos all the time to, to know what, what these specific songs were, but it was really fun. It was really a, a neat education and something that I just knew the very basics about. So that's called Can't Stop, Won't Stop by Jeff Chang. That would be one of those situations where if they could do the audiobook that included yes. of the songs there, that yeah. would be fantastic. I kept thinking that this would be a great like twelve hour documentary yeah. and yeah. I would love watching that. So Ken Burns get on that. Yeah. <laughs> Jazz is done. Hip hop is now. <laughs> All right. So my next one is The Killer Angels by Michael Shara. And this is takes place during the Civil War. So that we're skipping away from the Revolutionary War. Um, But it does the same thing that Hamilton does by bringing what could be a very kind of dry history, like Anne said, we look back on it as what we read in the history books and we see the statues and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it really shows the personalities behind the people that you read about as these these figures that were part of the Civil War. It covers the four days of the Battle of Gettysburg, Uh, with Robert E. Lee and James Longstreet leading the Southern troops and Colonel Joshua Chamberlain and General John Buford leading the Northern side. And Shara puts the reader inside each of their heads during those turbulent days. So the two armies meet by chance at Gettysburg, and neither of them particularly has designs to fight there. Um, But Lee really wants to have a decisive victory over the Union, and so he forces the confrontation to happen. And this 
battle became the turning point of the Civil War and led eventually to the Union's victory over the Confederacy. Um, it's really dramatic and bloody, and it's also touching, and it brings the horrors and triumphs of the Civil War to life on a personal scale, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read it a long, long time ago. It was actually one of my high school history oh, reading fun. that we did, um, but I still remember it fairly well. I would love to reread it at some mm-hmm. point. It's The Killer Angels by Michael Shara. Okay, so my last book is Revolutionary by Alex Myers, and I picked this because a big theme in Hamilton is that of someone that's trying to prove themselves in a sphere where they're not easily accepted or, or don't really seem to belong. And that theme is definitely true in the story of Deborah Sampson, who was a woman who disguised herself as a man in order to fight in the, America, in the American Revolution. The book begins in 1782, just after Deborah's first failed attempt to enlist while dressed as a man. She had worked for years as an indentured servant in Massachusetts, but even though she now has her freedom, she's 22 years old and she sees nothing more in her future than life as, as a weaver. And she's stuck in a town with no opportunities and very little marriage prospects, and she just doesn't really see a point in, in living what she's, she knows will be the rest of her life. So after a violent encounter with a drunken man, she runs away to, she, she steals some clothes and runs away, and she experiences true freedom for the first time. And she basically can do anything she wants because she's seen as, as male. And that's just a huge shift for her. Um, it just really changes all her assumptions that she's made about herself. So she successfully enlists in the Continental Army under the name Robert Shirtliff. And she loves feeling like she's part of this brotherhood, but she's constantly worried that her secret will be found out. Um, the book follows Deborah's true story as she served as a soldier for over a year, which mind-blowing wow. that she could she could maintain this. Um, including a battle which she during which she removed a musket ball from her leg by herself to avoid being discovered. And it was actually when I read that part that I remembered I had had a book about this this person as a kid and that like reading all the rest of this, it never triggered anything. But suddenly musket, that musket yeah. ball um, removal triggered this memory of, of this book I really enjoyed as a kid. So I love I love those moments where Me you too. remember um, happy books from your childhood. But one aspect of the book that is intriguing is that the author begins to refer to Deborah as Robert and starts to use male pronouns for the character. And that's that's really interesting because the author is himself transgendered. And so I think that that adds a lot of perspective to what it means to to change your gender, your gender identity, um, both in a psychological way and the actual physical tasks that that Deborah has to undertake to maintain this identity. And I think that usually when I've read books about women disguised as men throughout history it's just been that it's mm-hmm. been a disguise right. it hasn't actually been a, a identity shift the book takes that idea a step further and i thought that was really insightful and it has a lot to say about the limitations that are placed on women's lives in the 18th century and i always love something that explores the female side of great moments in history which hamilton also takes on as well um and I thought that even though the the story of Deborah Sampson is a very small story within the grand scheme of the revolution, it's a it's an important story to remember. So it was very enjoyable. And it's called Revolutionary by Alex Myers. So my last one uh, was sort of a gimme kind of a pick. It's <laughs> Hamilton, the Revolution by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jeremy Carter, also, or excuse me, Jeremy McCarter. And uh, it's also known as the Hamiltome. It's an in-depth <laughs> look at the making of Hamilton, the musical. It traces the musical from its very beginnings when Miranda rapped at the White House all the way to the huge success it has become. Uh, it has photos and the libretto and behind the scenes information about the creation and constant revision that was going on and went into the making of this to what it became today. And there are more than 200 footnotes by Miranda scattered through the libretto of why he did things, what he took out, what he added, all the little tidbits of information. 
this is definitely one you want to get the physical book for. You don't want to do the audiobook. You don't want to do the oh, ebook because it is as just a physical being. It is enormous. I can't even imagine it, trying right, to do right. it any other way. It has it has the feel of like an old document. Mm-hmm. Is the the font and stuff on the title page, and it's all decal edged. Mm-hmm. And kind of so, yellowed. And yellowed and a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So it just has a feeling of an old document. And then it has the, I don't even know how it would come across in an ebook or an audiobook. Because, Pointless, that's how. <laughs> because it, like all the, the, the footnotes are actually like on the side yeah. columns of the, the libretto and there are all these wonderful photos. So this is definitely one you want to get as a physical book. Um, and again, that's Hamilton, the Revolution by Minwell Miranda and Jeremy McCarter. And it's just a no brainer if you are interested in Hamilton enough to want to either get tickets or mm-hmm. listening to the cast album and over, over and over again. It's it's definitely one you want to have, look you, into. have you bought it. I have not bought it. I haven't checked out from the library. Mm-hmm. I just got it two days ago. So I haven't started it yet because it is it's a a big prospect to get into because there are Jeremy McCarter is a critic who is friends with Miranda and so he has all this insight into how um, this musical came to be so there are essays by him as well as the libretto Mm -hmm. and the footnotes so it just seems like it's it's going to take some time to kind of get through it this weekend I might I might tackle it yeah yeah the, the, I looked through it when we got our copy at the library and the photos are gorgeous. Gorgeous. They're really, really yes. striking. Yes. Nice. So, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful book. physical book. Yeah. All right, so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. What are you reading this week? I'm reading a book called Serpent's Kiss by Melissa de la Cruz, and this is the second in the Beauchamp family trilogy. And the series was the basis for a TV show called The Witches of East End, which is on, I think, a couple of years ago, and yeah. it's full of the most beautiful people you've ever seen in yes. your life. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I love it. It was a really fun show. <laughs> it was so fun. I haven't seen then the second season it yet. On but... a cliffhanger, I will oh, add. Yes. That's terrible. I think when they finished that season they thought that they were getting a third season and then they they canceled it after there was no way to someday there will be a great conclusion of all the series that veronica mars will be on there all the things that needed another season Um, but since serpent's kiss doesn't really stand alone without getting giant spoilers from the first book i'm just going to talk about the first book which is called witches of east end and the book is about the Beauchamps, who are a family of three women. Um, the mother is is Joanna, who lives with her two adult daughters, Ingrid and Freya. And they live in the tiny community of Northampton, which is on the far eastern end of Long Island, but it can't be found on, on any maps. It's um, populated by a small group of families who have lived there for generations, but the town is shrouded in fog. And so there's sort of, you can, you've stumble upon it and it's difficult to find unless you know exactly where you're going. So there's this sort of mystical feel about the town. And Joanna and her daughters have great lives, but they each have a secret. They're all witches, and they've been forced to give up their magic by something that's happened in their past. 
Um, each of the Beauchamp women has a, a special magical talent. Joanna has the ability to heal and raise people from the dead, while Ingrid, who is a librarian, I might add, um, can see the future. And uh, wild child Freya mixes potions at her bar t- bartending job. Their lives are, are shaken up when Freya becomes engaged to a wealthy and handsome young man named Bran Gardner, and uh, he has recently returned to town after his family estate had been abandoned for many years, and he's just come back. But Freya also has a strong pull towards his brother Killian, and so that's going to lead to some entanglements. And Joanna and Ingrid are having some similar romantic issues in their lives, and so due to these these developments, the Beauchamps have decided to begin practicing their magic kind of on an, an innocent level again. And they think everything is fine. Everything seems to be going okay. But then there there are some strange attacks in, in town and they suspect that they may be involved in something bigger than they knew before. So this actually, I think, hits all of my comfort. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of my comfort spots. Um, the biggest one is the idealized perfect small town that has a, kind of a huge focus on seasons and seasonal celebrations. So it sort of has that Gilmore Girls appeal for me. There's a cute library where Ingrid gets to do all of the library jobs, oh, and yes, that's I really that. fun. <laughs> Somehow she's a preservationist and a public librarian yeah. at the same time, which is cool. Um, and then there's a the supernatural element, and I like that it takes historical witches along with the fantasy witchcraft elements. And there's actually another big topic that is a huge love of mine, but I can't talk about it because it's a giant spoiler for the end of the book. So you can read it and find out. And I, I think it's kind of hard to categorize because it's paranormal romance and it's a mystery and it's chick lit. Um, and the plot kind of goes to some insane places, but it's a really, really fun ride. And it's it just sort of has a fall feel to me, even though I don't think the book takes place in the fall. I, I always think, oh, time for sweaters when I look at the cover. So it's it's just very appealing. And um, I'm, I've just finished the second book and I have the, the third book on hold at the library. So I'm excited to finish up the trilogy and that's called Serpent's Kiss by Melissa Dela Cruz, but I talked about Witches of East End. All right. So my book I'm reading this week is actually one I listened to. It's My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand, and Jody Meadows. And the narrator is Katherine Kelgren, which if you're an audiobook listener at all, she's wonderful. She's won awards for her, her narration. So uh, this book <laughs> is so wacky and delightful. <laughs> I just cannot even put it into words. It was like The Princess Bride meets the other Boleyn girl, meets Monty Python. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. It is taking, it's like an alternative history, basically, with a fantasy slant. Oh, I didn't so, know that about this book. I yeah. thought it was just a historical fiction book. No, it's not at all. So it presents the story of Lady Jane Grey, who, if you don't know, is a real-life uh, queen for nine mm-hmm. days uh, before she was beheaded. In this version, however, uh, Jane is not very interested in getting married or being the queen, but her cousin, Edward VI, appoint, appoints her as queen as he is dying in order to prevent the crown from going to his sister, Mary, who would become Bloody Mary. And a Catholic. Um, so the first part of this book basically follows history as it happened with with a little bit of a twist. But generally, the order of things is how the history after, actually happened. But and I don't think this is a huge spoiler, but at, at the point when Jane would be beheaded is where the story switches and and then it's total fantasy because in their version Jane escapes (laughs) Um, so I'm not going to spoil how she escapes or what happens but ultimately uh, she can find love and happiness and contentment 
in this story versus the real life wow. story. So as I said, it, the, the story is rooted in fact. Um, the conflict between the Catholics and the Protestants that was going on at the time takes a fantastical turn to a conflict between people who can shapeshift into animals and people who cannot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so as I said, it's, it's wacky. It's totally irreverent and funny. It's clear the authors just had a really good time writing it. It's three authors. There are three perspectives. It's a uh, Lady Jane Grey, and then the the man she's supposed to marry, and then um, Edward the Sixth mm-hmm. is the other voice. So um, I'm guessing they each took one character and mm-hmm. wrote the wrote their sections, but it actually flows really, really well. And I'd say if you're in the mood for just something light and clever and kind of historical adjacent, yeah. um, this is really sure to bring a smile to your face. Um, it, I just had a great, great time listening to it. So that is My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand, and Jody Meadows. That sounds very cool. Does does the narrator do three different voices yes. for the different sections? Yes. Oh, cool. Yes. Yeah. Um, all right, let's mention all the books we talked about. I talked about Lafayette in the Somewhat United States by Sarah Vowell, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, A History of the Hip-Hop Generation by Jeff Chang, Revolutionary by Alex Myers, and what I read this week was Serpent's Kiss, but I talked about The Witches of East End by Melissa De La Cruz. All right. And I talked about The Hamilton Affair by Elizabeth Cobbs, The Killer Angels by Michael Shara, Hamilton the Revolution by Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jeremy McCarter. And what I listened to this week was My Lady Jane by Brody Ashton, Cynthia Hand and Jody Meadows. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. Find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. Happy reading.